It's uh, good to hear you guys worship. I don't sound as loud after listening to the worship. <laughs> this evening, I, uh, I just want us to take a, uh, a short meditation. My, uh, my desire isn't to say anything new, but to draw together some of the things that uh, you've heard this week already, particularly <coughs> from both Jeremy and Ben, as we think uh, about uh, these rich truths, as we turn our attention towards tomorrow morning when we throw our bags in the back of a van, pull out of the parking lot, make our way down a mountain, out of the woods, out into the valley, back to an airport, Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, wherever that road may take us. And this evening, I really, as we think about going home, I recognize that each and every one of us sits in very different, unique places, but we also sit in the same place. Probably all of us disappointed that camp is coming to an end, uh, a little nervous, a little excited, a little uncertain about returning to life as usual. And so I want to uh, leave you with a few thoughts as you return home. This evening I want to read from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. And I want to admonish you as, as, as you go home, as you take this experience, this mountaintop experience with you, to return home with a new posture towards your God, towards this world, and towards your church. I want to gather a few things together, things that you've already heard, and encourage you to take these things home, the new posture towards your God, towards the world in which you live, and towards the church that you return to. Hebrews chapter 10, this is a letter written to a group of Jewish Christians who had confessed, who had said that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the promised one. He's the one that Moses and all of the prophets for generations had been pointing towards. He's the one that we have been waiting for. Not many Jews made that confession. And here these Hebrews were living as exiles in a hostile world ostracized, many of them, from their friends, from their family, because of a simple confession that they had made. Exiles, like you and I. Hebrews chapter 10, we read, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast 
to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Would you pray with me? Lord, we do thank you for this week that you have given us. A week in which we are immersed in Christian fellowship. A week in which we constantly find ourselves in your word, privately meditating as a group, listening to the preaching, the proclamation of your word, singing psalms of praise, offering up prayers of adoration, of confession, of lamentation, bearing our hearts, our deepest secrets, our deepest pains, our deepest sorrows, our deepest longings with people we didn't know six days ago. <coughs> We thank you for the ways that you have already met us in each one of these acts. And we ask that you would send your spirit once again, that in this moment, you would bring your word to life. That you would enable us not only to believe, not only to hear, but to leave this camp strengthened and eager to serve you in the very places that you have planted us. And we ask this in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Well, uh, Ben has uh, told you guys a little story about the very first house that uh, he and Anna purchased. Um, I, I, could, I could bear witness to the shag carpet, the dingy walls, and uh, the bit of progress that he's already made, although if you visited his house, it's still a work in progress. He's got a long way to go. He's got a bathroom that's uh, torn up. I think Anna's counting the days waiting for it to be completed. But I want to tell you about uh, the very first apartment that Nicole and I lived in. Uh, we got married in October, four, 14 years ago, right? Uh, yeah, I better get that right. I, I'm catching myself all of a sudden, which is terrible. Uh, we got married in October in Ohio, and we were preparing to leave in January for St. Louis, where I was going to start seminary at Covenant Seminary. We had already graduated from college. We had both moved home and were living with our parents while we saved a little money paid off our undergraduate debts, and prepared to get married. Our folks lived about an hour and 15 minutes apart, uh, which made for uh, a difficult commute during our engagement. And it also made for complicated arrangements after we got married. Uh, I had a job up where my parents lived. Nicole had a job down where her parents lived, an hour and 15 minutes apart. And so we needed to find an apartment somewhere in between and somewhere that we could only rent, that would actually allow us to rent for three months. Now, that's kind of unheard of, uh, to find some place that you could rent for three months. So we found, uh, we found a place in a little duplex, a duplex in a little town in Ohio called Wadsworth. 
And uh, I went and I checked out this place. I, uh, this is back in the day when you still like look for places in the newspaper. Uh, found this and uh, went and visited it. And it was okay, it was nice. I was only gonna live there for three months. I was this excited, young, newlywed, looking for uh, a place that I would get to bring my brand new wife. Uh, looked around the place and uh, one of the things I noticed was that there were carpet squares everywhere in the living room, kind of leading from the front door all the way across the front window and then back out into the next room. And it, it caught my attention, I noticed it, but I didn't really think much of it. I, thinking, well, maybe like a lot of people are looking at this place. It's got to be really popular or something. And so we put carpet squares down to keep the mud out. Well, we ended up signing the lease, decided to move in. And uh, after we came back from our honeymoon, we moved into this new place. And the carpet squares were still there. I thought that was a little perplexing. And then I lifted up the carpet squares and there was like ink stains everywhere, all over the carpets. It was a duplex, and so a couple days later, I, I asked the guy in the unit next to us, you know, what, what was going on in this apartment that we're renting? There's, there's ink stains everywhere. And he said, oh yeah, the guy who lived there before was running a tattoo parlor out of that place. And so like, like every like terrible thought imaginable started running through my mind. Like I just brought my new wife into like a public health hazard, and uh, and if and if that wasn't it, like I'm sure the guy like I was convinced that the guy was not only like running an illegal tattoo parlor out of his apartment, but he had to be like running drugs out of this place. And so I was like afraid to sleep. Uh, what's gonna happen? Who's gonna show up? What are they gonna look for? Uh, but uh, finally I called the landlord and I asked the guy, you know, why didn't you take care of the, the ink stains on the carpet? And, and his answer was simply, I did. What do you think the carpet squares were for? Sometimes we try to cover up our sin with little carpet squares. Adam and Eve used fig leaves, and ever since then, for generation after generation, you and I, our fathers, our grandfathers before us, have gone a long way to try to cover up the stains. We try to do that in front of one another, we're afraid. <coughs> Our friends really know, if your pastor really knows, if everybody else in your youth group really knows who you were, things that go through your mind, things that you look at, the things that you do, there's no way you'd be accepted. No way you'd be loved. And we have these same thoughts about the Lord, don't we? We come before the Lord trying to throw little carpet squares over those embarrassing places in our life, those places in your past, some of them things that you did, others of them even more painful, the things that were done to you. We try to hide them from the Lord. 
But the message that you've heard this week from Ben, from Jeremy, the gospel that you have heard and that's repeated for us here in Hebrews is that you have a God who doesn't throw little carpet squares over your sin. You have a God who took Adam and Eve by the hand and made a sacrifice, an offering for their, for their sin. And the same God who generations later sent his son into the world to die for that sin, to once and for all pay the penalty for your sin. That's the message that you have heard. That's justification. The fact that the guilt of your sin, once and for all, has been removed. There's not a single stain for you to cover up. There's not a single stain that you need to throw a carpet square over. Beloved, the Lord knows every last sin already. And he sent his son to die for them. And in Hebrews chapter 10, we read that since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, therefore let us, let us do a couple of things. The author of Hebrews for 10 chapters has been extolling the glories of Christ. How much greater Christ is than the old covenant. How much greater of a priest he is. How much better of a sacrifice he's offered. It's the message that you've heard all week long. You have a Savior. A Savior who has done remarkable things. Jesus Christ. He's opened up a way into the holy places, into the tabernacle, into the, te into the temple. He gives us access to God. And in light of this, in light of these truths that you've heard, this gospel message that you've heard over and over and over again, not just once, sometimes twice, sometimes three times a day, Therefore, let us, let us return home, the new posture towards God, a new posture towards this world, a new posture towards your church. These aren't things that you have to do. They're things that you get to do, right? You're butterflies. I'm a butterfly. I hope you remember that. I know you will remember that. Six months from now, a year from now, you're a butterfly. You get to do these things. So first, what's our posture towards God? We get to come to him in confidence. Let us draw near 
with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That assurance that by faith your conscience has been clean, the guilt of your sin has been washed away. Brothers and sisters, should give you confidence. You get, you get to approach God. Not just on this mountain when you're surrounded by new friends, supportive counselors. You get to approach God when you return home. When you wake up in the morning, you get ready for your summer job, you move on to that college campus where you don't know a soul, you return to the same old high school where you're pressured by the same old sins, the same old group of friends, you get to draw near to God with full assurance, confidence, Confidence that he doesn't just put up with you, but that he loves you. He delights in you. I remember one time I was, uh, was in my office and my, my door was shut. And it was one of those moments where I had a couple of interruptions already that day. And I don't even remember what I was working on or what I was doing. Um, but uh, my door comes flying open. What, who, 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 who doesn't knock? And, uh, and I look out, thinking it's my secretary or somebody from the church who has a crisis that has to be solved right now. Who is it? It's my son. It's Jonah. He has access. Access. Whenever he wants it. You have access to your God whenever you want it, whenever you need it. And he doesn't roll his eyes. He doesn't get frustrated. He delights in it. You get to draw near to God. Camp is an amazing experience. But everything that we've experienced here should be an appetizer to send us out. These are the very things. The Lord doesn't withhold this from you when you get home. You've simply been able to remove the distractions, the schoolwork, the job. It takes a little more effort a little more forethought, a little more intentionality. But the very thing that you experienced here, intimacy with God, joy and prayer and worship, draw near to him with confidence when you get home. But I hope that you don't simply go home with a new posture towards your God. <coughs> but that you would go home with a new posture towards this world. Perhaps more than anything, that's what the theme of exiles is about, right? Helping us orient our place in this world. 
you're an elect exile. And the author of Hebrews reminds these exiles not only that they get to draw near to God, but he exhorts them. He says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, without faltering. And he gives us a reason why. For he who promised is faithful. What is it that we're to hold on to? A confession. A confession first of who Jesus is. He's the Christ, the Son of God. But also a confession of who you are. His treasured possession, do you remember that? A royal priesthood, a holy nation, people who have received mercy. Hold on to that confession. Hold on to who Jesus is and to who you are in him. But the text actually tells us to hold on to the confession of our hope. This is where Ben took us last night. As Christians living in a hostile world, as exiles in a strange land, longing for our homeland. What is it that we hold on to? Hope. The anticipation that God is making this house into our home. That he will one day make all things new. Hold on to that confession. In faith, we look back. We look back with confidence. We look back with certainty on what Jesus has already accomplished at the cross, through his resurrection. But hope, hope is a posture of looking forward, looking forward in anticipation to what Jesus will one day do. And so, beloved, hold on to your confession. Hold on to the hope. The hope that you have in Jesus. And this confession isn't something that we simply make with our lips. This confession is the very way that you live your life before a watching world. That's your confession. The way that you choose to speak to others, to treat the outcast in your school, to resist temptation, to honor your father and mother, to patiently bear with your younger siblings. Hold on to your confession. Hold on to your confession, not only for your sake, but for the sake of this world. For the sake of your friends, for the sake of your family that do not yet know Christ. But finally, I hope that you return home with a new posture towards the church. 
The very last verse we read, let us consider, let us think about, right now in this moment, how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's what your counselors did this afternoon. That's what you did this morning when you spoke into one another's life. Hopefully that's what happens over the, the course of the weeks and the months ahead as you stay in contact with one another. That constantly, in your words, in your communication, you're spurring one another on to love and good works. You're encouraging one another all the more as the day draws closer. And do not neglect meeting together. What makes YXL so wonderful? There's 140 people in this room and you probably get 140 different answers. What made your week so beautiful, so special? But really, what makes YXL wonderful is the fact that for an entire week, for seven straight days, you were immersed in what your pastor would call the means of grace. God actually knows what he's doing. The word, prayer, Christian fellowship, that's all camp was, along with Joel's challenges. (laughs) The word, fellowship, and prayer, from the moment you woke up to the moment you went to bed, you rubbed shoulders with other believers. You dug into his word. You sought him in prayer. You're going to go home and you're not going to be able to do that all day long. But the very things that you experienced here on top of this mountain are the very things that you experience every single Sunday morning at your church. You don't get to stay there for 24 hours. Maybe it's an hour and a half. But it's the word, it's the fellowship, and it's prayer. That's what makes YXL so wonderful. The people that you were with. God's word being proclaimed, <coughs> preached. So as you go home, as you long for YXL, Know that you're going to experience, you're going to find a little bit of YXL right back in your local church. Of course, the music might not sound the same. Preaching might not sound the same. And in some respects, it's a little more uncomfortable. Because you're not surrounded by people who are just like you. This actually isn't a church. Ben, I know, tells his students, RUF is not a church. When you go home, you get to go home to something a little more awkward, but a lot more powerful. Word, fellowship, prayer, shared not only with people who are 15 to 18 years old, but with five-year-olds and with 85-year-olds. With the body of Christ. You're here because you're leaders. 
You're the future leaders of this church, but you are leaders now. And your church is not only the place that you will go to be refreshed, to be refueled, but your church is the very place that you will return home to and hopefully serve. Use your gifts now. Talk to your youth leader. Pursue your pastor. Engage with your parents. Consider. Think about it. Even in this moment, consider. Think about it as you drive home how you, with your unique temperaments, your unique gifts, in the way that God has uniquely designed you, consider how you can spur others on to love and good deeds. Beloved, since these things are true, since we have a Messiah who has died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, let us draw near to God. Let us hold fast to our confession. And let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. As you go home, don't go home with gloom. Rejoice in the gift that God gave you this week. Rejoice in what you just experienced. And go home with anticipation. We come up on this mountain for the very purpose of leaving. The church gathers every Sunday morning for the purpose of leaving, of going back out into the world. I was trying to think of some illustrations. I'll, I'll, um, I'll stop here. But maybe we could say YXL is kind of like the banquet meal that we just ate. Why do we eat food, even the best, most delicious food? To be refueled, to be refreshed. But as good as that banquet meal is, we don't sit, we don't remain at that table. We eat that meal, we delight in that meal so we can get up and go. Or maybe we could say YXL is like a gas station. You're going to have to stop at a number of gas stations before you get home. So every time you pull into the pump, you remember YXL is like a gas station. The Lord brought you here to refuel. But you don't take a trip to a gas station. You don't live at a gas station. You go to the gas station to be refueled, to be refreshed. And the Lord sends us home. Full, right? Are you full? Are you refreshed? Rejoice in this week and return home with a new posture towards your God, towards this world towards your church. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the mercy that you show us, that you would call us to be your children, that you would fill us with your spirits, that you would engage us in your mission in this world. And I do pray that as each and every one of these students 
these counselors, staff, as we all return home respectively to the places that you have planted us. Would you give us courage to build houses, to hold fast to our confession, even in the midst of opposition, in the midst of temptation? And would you use us for the glory of your name? We pray this in that name, the name of Jesus. Amen.